Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors, manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and most recently, Core Watercolors. For more information about Golden Artist Colors, visit www.goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also supported by Topo Designs, based in Denver, Colorado. They're committed to creating quality bags and clothing that stand the test of time. You can check out their products at topodesigns.com. Barbara Takenaga is an artist living and working in New York City. Barbara grew up in Nebraska and got her BFA and MFA at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Her recent solo exhibitions include DC Moore Gallery in New York City, Gregory Lind Gallery in San Francisco, and a 20-year survey at the Williams College Museum of Art, curated by Deborah Bricker Balkin, accompanied by a catalog published by Delmonico Books Presto. Her large-scale wall projects include Space 42 of the Neuberger Museum and the Hunter Lobby of Mass Mocha. Other recent exhibitions include a two-person exhibition at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha and a solo show at the Huntington Museum in West Virginia and a group show, Chaos and Awe, at the Frist Museum of Art in Nashville. Her work is in the collection of the Library of Congress in D.C., the San Jose Museum of Art, the Ackland Art Museum in Chapel Hill, the Museum of Nebraska Art, amongst many others. She's taught at Williams College, the University of Denver, and Washington St. Louis. I stopped by Barbara's Flatiron Studio to talk about the Great Plains, feeling at home in New York, negative jazz, and more. Here's our conversation. <laughs> so your opening was good? The opening was great. It was a lot of fun. It was packed. It was that first uh, Thursday in Chelsea. So It's a good slot. Yeah. The weather's not yeah. awful yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. In that space, the first opening I had at D.C. Moore, um, their AC went out, and it was a September show, Ooh. and it was hot. Yeah. Yeah, because the body heat, even in the winter, Yeah. if you stick like 50 people in a gallery, it gets kind of humid. Yeah. But... It was really fun. That's I had a cool. great time. The only thing is that I couldn't go to other people's openings, so that's the bummer. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's fine. small price to pay. Y- yeah, yeah, you could. yeah. So it was, um, it was well attended. And then, how long did you work on the work that's in the show up? Now? Um, actually, I started working less than a year, mm-hmm. so probably around November, December. Um, so yeah, and I finished, and for the first time, I finished early, a month early. So. It was, uh, you know, normally it could take me a year and a half to two years to sort of make a show, but yeah. this one was fast. Are you quicker partially because you've stopped teaching now? Um, I that think partially, it yeah. It, th- there wasn't teaching in the, in the way. That sounds not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I was also uh, really kind of, oh my God, I'm going to change this work. I'm, I didn't quite know exactly what I was going to do. So once I had an idea, you know, it was like seven days a week, kind of full tilt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, and you nice. make everything in here, right? Yeah. This is a nice space. Oh, thanks. Yeah. This is like two 
two talks in a row where I've been in this part of Manhattan, which is a rarity these days. It is sort of um, great and strange that 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 we all have studios here. I have a lot of friends on this floor. Yeah. Um, but I think I've been here about mm, I don't know nine years, something like that. And That's before it? then, I was in Tribeca yeah. in the old um, Marie Walsh Sharp building. Right. So yeah. Nine years isn't a long time for a space here. You would think that you'd have to be <laughs> sort of grandfathered into a space really? like this and have it for a long time. Well, you know, the neighborhood has come up a lot. Yeah. So um, it makes me a little more skeptical about how long we'll be here. But um, I have, as you, as you know, I have this little dog. So mm-hmm. trying to commute too far out of the city is hard. So yeah. I'm happy to have a studio in Manhattan at the moment. So do you, where, do you live close? Yeah, I live in the village, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty uh, it's a straight commute. shot. Yeah. Have you ever lived outside Manhattan as uh, a working artist, I guess? You know, I actually haven't. I mean, I, te- I teach, I taught yeah. at Williams, and I had a studio there. So, um, but other than that, no, I've always lived in Manhattan. Well, where, did you grow up in New York? No, I grew up in Nebraska. See, I told you I was really unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska. And I told you I was really unprepared. So no, I feel I've, equally I've, read, unprepared. I've read that. Nebraska. Yeah. So how did you end up in Nebraska? Um, well, the family story, I, and I don't know if you can really trust family stories. I keep repeating it as if it's true, but... Um, it's okay. No one knows that. I know. <laughs> how can, can you verify? Uh, my, my mother's family, my grandfather came over in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. and he ran a, a boarding house for the Japanese uh, railroad workers uh-huh. and ended up, you know, they were moving west and ended up in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he, uh, my grandmother was married off to him in that old way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my mother was actually born in Wyoming, and then he settled in Nebraska, and then I, that's where I was born. Whoa, so that, they came over early. I know, weird. Was it, did they, what, do you know why they came over? I mean, just for the working opportunity, or? I'm pretty sure my grandfather came for a working opportunity, and he was young, and he was, he was kind of a rascal, as I understand it, and where was very he from adventurous. In, where was he from originally in Japan? Uh, I think he was from Yokohama. Okay. Yeah. So, port town. Yeah. There's a little... Maybe a travel, well, there's a little more kind of like influence of, you know, the outside in Yokohama than other places, right? I mean, not as much as like Okinawa or something. You know, you know Japan probably much better than I do. I right? don't, don't know too, too much. Really? <laughs> you knew Yokohama was a port town. I knew that, but that's about <laughs> all I know. Um, yeah, I, I, all I know is that he was, you know, he... He decided to become a farmer. Yeah. Never had farmed a day in his life. He couldn't really own any property there because, you know, there were laws against it. So, my uncle, who was the, the eldest, um, the farm was in his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandmother was from, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking, uh, this little town close to Mount Fuji. So, so they were from different parts of Japan, mm-hmm. and yeah. So they came over. And then, so they're, so you're Nisei then, right? You're sansei. Second, you're Sansei, that's right. Right, yeah. Yeah, so how much did you, did you learn any language or any, 
was there culture and stuff built in or no I think it's like a lot of immigrant stories the um my mother and father spoke English and Japanese yeah and then they spoke no Japanese to my sister and I right so we were really assimilated um it's a funny thing my grandparents lived in the same town and I actually never talk to them I talk it was single word communication and it was a lot about food yeah um, Food's so, big yeah it Food's was important it was the main tie right yeah, yeah. and um, I just remember my grandmother saying things um, <laughs> I love the way she would hand me an orange and mm-hmm. she would go orange orange <laughs> she couldn't say my name so she called me Bobby <laughs> or Bobby I guess the accent would be on the first syllable yeah, the R's and names are difficult. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but, you know, people ask me about Nebraska, and, and I have great memories yeah. growing up there. I really loved it, even though it was, you know, in those days, there was still uh, residue uh, from World War II, right? right. So, yeah. um you know, it was tough in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it was great. Yeah. Well, Nebraska, I mean, were you near Lincoln or like a town or were you out in the middle of nowhere? Well, we were in a town called North Platte. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of it? No. I, well, I drove through Nebraska. Yeah, that's a the thing. It's on Interstate 80. Yeah. It's right in the middle of the state. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, uh, in those days, um, Omaha and Lincoln right. were the you know, cosmopolitan areas yeah and if you play like because i've played in a band so if you play somewhere yeah. you're playing you're in lincoln, playing in usually lincoln, lincoln right. or omaha yeah. yes yeah and yeah. you don't you drive through the rest and you're like right. it's really flat <laughs> you're going i'm glad i don't live here <laughs> yeah. that in uh, kansas yeah was just flat it is flat i always tell people it's like um standing on top of a table yeah you know it's just completely flat the coolest part about it i remember is driving through Nebraska and Kansas, and that uh, you could see multiple storms. Oh my God, the the weather, just the amount of sky, and then the weather. Yeah. Uh, when I when I grew up there, I didn't think a thing about it, and actually, I hadn't thought about it for years and years, and only recently, um, I remember things um, where it's flat. You're on the highway, so you've got that weird vanishing point. And literally, I saw a storm come from the my right peripheral vision, yeah. black, and move across yeah. the whole scenario to yeah, the could, to the left. You can see it happen. Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not like when you're in a city and it just like shows up, dumps yeah. on you for 20 minutes and it's gone. Yeah. yeah. Like there, you actually see it. That's why when you see on TV, like storm trackers or storm tracers, yeah, chasers, and you're like, wow, they can actually just see it and j- chase it. I know, I know, but that's that's also, I mean, it's uh, that was both fabulous and ominous and really scary because it was so black and it was this shape and it was sitting right on the horizon, yeah. right? So theoretically, it was like a a movie or a stage where it was way out there. And, left to right or whatever direction um but could it come toward me i don't you know yeah yeah you don't know unless you didn't have radar then yeah yeah (laughs) that's what messed up so many of this the manifest destiny like people going out west is they would see the mountains like you would see colorado oh yeah yeah like oh we're close oh yeah 
and complete you just keep illusion. going and going and going. You yeah. never get there. Yeah. Then you have to, you know, drop the furniture, drop the right. pets. Yep. I don't know if they had pets. <laughs> Probably <laughs> a snake or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Well, when I grew up in Pittsburgh, it's really hilly. You know, there's bridges and hills and rivers everywhere. And I never thought about that until I would go somewhere like Kansas and be like, oh, wow, this is flat. You could see as far as you can see, basically. Yes. And it's yeah. a totally different thing. But I would imagine that growing up in that environment sort of shaped your aesthetic sensibility in some way or another. I think it did. Definitely. Um, it takes some thinking to figure that out. I, I mean, there are things that I that have come up, I'd say, in the last 10 years that have to do with that particular flat landscape mm-hmm. and that amount of sky. And I think the weather as metaphor um, got really interesting, uh, kind of came up without me calling it up in a way. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of um, aspects to what you just said, if I, if I think about it. Right. Well, when you were young, did you, were you into drawing and being creative? Or did um, that come later? I, when I was really young, somebody, I don't know how uh, it came up, but they, they said something, I think a lot of artists, this happens to a lot of artists, where somebody says, oh, she's creative. Mm-hmm. And my mother, um, I think this is so wonderful of her, we were in, the, in this little town in Nebraska, she wants to foster that. But there, there isn't anyone that teaches art yeah. for little kids. So she um, did two things. She took me to the next door neighbor who made um, fake flowers, um, fake cherry blossoms. And I learned how to do that. That was one thing. And the other thing was, in those days, there was a photographer who uh, knew how to hand tint black and white photographs. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to do that. In town? Just someone you knew? Yeah, just random. Um, So those were the two things that she did. I thought that was... In hindsight, that's so lovely of her to try to do that for me. Yeah, because some, I mean, obviously now in retrospect, but just it becomes important because you just need to see someone being creative as like something you can do. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, all kids are creative, but to see it in, in a grown up, like this person's doing this thing. You know? Yeah, and I never thought about this, but who said that to her? Like, how did that come up? Yeah. Because I know somebody pointed that out and I don't think it was my uh, mother or father but um, but the story that I always tell is that when I went to um, middle school or junior high school um, I had this teacher Mr. Peterson Larry Peterson um, who is now still my friend Mm -hmm. um, and he he was just a force in terms of turning my life toward art yeah he was the most amazing teacher I had him for I don't know maybe three years and uh and he knew stuff I, I I'm always astounded I, I always thought he was so old he was probably you know early 20s but he knew things he he knew about art history and he he knew about abstract expressionism and minimalism and um well, minimalism? No, maybe he didn't know about minimalism. That was later. Did that make it out to Nebraska? I don't think so. I think it was more impressionism. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, he taught us about Jackson Pollock and Motherwell, and I was just like, 
astounded. I was blown away. Um, so th- I think that's pretty amazing, right? In yeah. way back when. It's important to yeah. have that kind of yeah. exposure. I yeah. Guess. And he knew how to do all kinds of uh, media things. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, s- clay and, you know, obviously painting and drawing and enameling and all kinds of weird stuff. So right. it was great. Thank yeah. goodness some of those people made their way out to middle America. <laughs> and not I think everyone he, gravitates I think he to was born and raised there. So somewhere along the line, he, he knew these things. He cared about them. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I, I just am astounded um, that I had that good fortune. Um, because as a side story, I used to work for the Denver Art Museum for mm-hmm. a while. And I would go out and do these um, with this trailer packed full of you know, good art. We would travel around the state to all these little towns and do educational things. And I remember going to a few few towns, I won't say their names, but the but the art teacher, I it was just so kind of uh, crazy. I, I was in between being dumbfounded and amazed um, and astounded in a not good way. Yeah. For instance, one guy um, taught, he was, I think, the football coach, and he also taught art classes. But he didn't know anything about art, but he did know about taxidermy. So you go in the art room, and all along the top, they'd built a shelf, and there were hundreds of stuffed squirrels and mice and rodents. <laughs> <It's rodent>. bizarre. <laughs> was he teaching taxidermy as that, a creative endeavor? That was the art class. He didn't even call it taxidermy. That was art class. That's art. I guess there's an art to it. Oh, you're so, you're so generous. (laughs) There is, I'm sure. For all the taxidermists out there, it's definitely an art. It creep out all those kids. (laughs) All the kids who moved through that classroom ended up engineers or lawyers. I know. Bring your roadkill. Bring your roadkill. We've got something for you. They ran from art. Oh, God. I wonder if the football players were creative, though. I don't know. I hope so. Or they have taxidermied <laughs> stuff on their walls. <laughs> to these days. You're such an optimist. I can tell already. <laughs> I know. Whoops. <laughs> so, and side note, what were you listening to as a young girl growing up in Nebraska? Was music in the house? Uh, music wasn't in the house. And and my, my family weren't big readers either. Um, but... Uh, I think I was of that age where kids loved um, music and were buying. <laughs> I'm really, that's um, the word, be lying. I don't know, whatever it is, my age. Because we, we would go out and buy 45s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had an older sister who, um, and that helped a lot. So she determined a lot of my musical right. taste. But we just listened to everything that was out there. And I think pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I don't. It seems like the world was so small in that, in that time, that I listened to everything that was new rock and rolly kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like, what was pop music basically at that point? Whatever was getting pressed on the vinyl, you guys were checking out. Yeah, I mean, all that when when I was really young, my sister would buy, um, yeah, all of, all of that stuff pre Beatles stuff. Yeah. Um, and Buddy I, Holly yeah, and Richie Valens yeah, and all and that. Yeah, and I loved all of that. Yeah. And then um, at some point, uh, yeah, I got into the, the Beatles and the Stones when I was in high school. Yeah. 
you and millions everybody of else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like I'm listening to that, but of course everybody uh, who was a young person was listening to that. Yeah. So it's I mean, it not like, like now where I think there's uh, it's so much it's so much wider. Oh yeah, you can listen to anything you want. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Then it was like, you're listening to what's out there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have gone the jazz route and listened to some Miles Davis and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm really terrible with the jazz thing. Uh, I understand it. and in, I mean, I don't understand it. I understand the, the, the idea of it. And as a creative person, you would think that I would love it. Just never did it for me. Doesn't speak to you? Mm-mm. I, yeah. What do you listen to now when you're in the studio? Well, I basically listen to audible books. Mm -hmm. I used to listen to music all the time, and then I got to a point where, um, I don't know, I just got into the books thing, and it was very comforting. Yeah. And, uh, and so for years, I've listened to mostly books. Late at night, I turn music on. What was the music you were listening to before you went to audiobooks in the studio? Like, what matched your, your moods? Oh, or, you know, your creation. You know, Tom Burkhart told me he, you were going to ask about music. <laughs> oh, you got, you got a cheat sheet on this? <laughs> I, did, I did. I'm like going, okay, what's the cool music that I listen to? So I'm not going to go through that list. But um, but what I will say that's funny is that um, my then husband um, was was is still crazy music person. Yeah. And um, has a definite kind of taste, sort of R&B and rock. But... Um, he, he sub also subscribes to a lot of music magazines. And the way I would find music is at the end of every year, they would publish the top 25 yeah. or top 50 or whatever um, things. And then like wine, they would have a little descriptive thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, you know, musky aftertone and, right. you know, fruity, you know, lingering, whatever. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh, it's kind of uh, a little punk, a little this, whatever. and. And I would go down and pick the ones that, that sounded good yeah. to me, descriptive-wise. And then I would just go out and buy them. Um, I, I would buy CDs. Yeah. And my um, success rate was about 60%. So that meant 40% of it I didn't like. So Remember I kept those days when you <laughs> couldn't sample a record? You yeah, just have to, a lot of times you just go in and buy based on either the record label or the album art. Yeah. You're like, oh, that looks cool. I'll yeah. buy that. And then you're stuck with it. Yeah. I have a lot of a big collection of things I don't like. Yes. Um, I remember Tower Records used to have a, a wall where they started letting you sample CDs. Yeah. With the headphones on them. Yeah. You could listen to like six different CDs. Yeah. But I never wanted to touch those headphones. Like where, who, how many people had put those headphones uh, on? See, th those were pre-germaphobe. Like I wasn't really... <laughs> Having a kid turn me more into aware of that stuff. I'd be like, what? What's wrong with these headphones? I would think <laughs> now having, I would having a kid would make you like completely like, ah, oh, germs, okay. All germs, okay. No, because when you when they get sick, it's hell on earth. I mean, you're up uh, all night when they're uh, little and you just, you know, you don't I want that to happen. So you're like, Purell, like just dip them. Really? <laughs> like a vat of Purell. But I see people all the time with the kids, they drop the pacifier on the floor, it rolls around, they... The parent just picks it up and pops it back in their mouth. And That's a parent who ha probably had kids, you know, had more than one kid. Yeah. I yeah. Because the first ones, you're usually a little more like, <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, you're like, ah, they're fine. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's why usually older siblings are a little more, I mean, this is, there's no research that informs this <laughs> yeah. comment, but yeah. I feel like older children are usually a little more uptight or 
like oh kind yeah of like worry because the parents are more worried right the first kid. i believe that have but, you ever met but then like i'm not the, kid i'm not the I'm the second, so. Right. Easy for us to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the yeah. second, too. Yeah. But I, have you met someone who's like the seventh or eighth kid? Yeah. I mean, anything they're, goes. They're, yeah. They were probably feral growing <laughs> up, right? We don't care what you yeah, do, just, where you go. You know, we don't care if your clothes are clean. Just right. yeah. Yeah, just stay alive. No, actually, they're like, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's no uh, worry. Maybe to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. So when you were in high school, you're... Are you being more creative in that sense? Are you are you thinking art school? I want to do make art, or what was I, your plan? I thought I wanted to make art definitely, um, and I also thought I wanted to be a teacher. Those were the uh, it was very clear to me, and I wanted to live in North Platte, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and become a teacher. And uh, somebody asked me, "Why did you want to be a teacher?" And I, <laughs> I said, "I didn't mean it to be funny, but." It, it was basically I wanted to take role. That sounded that seems so great to me. Oh, and yeah. have a role book right. with people's names in it, and um, I wanted to write on the blackboard. Those are the two main reasons I wanted to go into teaching. <laughs> it's nothing about nurturing or helping other no, people. No. no, I like writing writing yeah. on the blackboard with yeah. people. So it's funny. I um, I did actually, you know, do both of those things. Although um, in school I was an English major first, so. Mm-hmm. I, I decided ah, I don't want to be an artist. Um, How did that go? Well, it, I was having so much fun in school that when it came time to pick my major in college, uh, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, um, I just thought, what what is the least amount of work? Fun I, wasn't a major? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one party yeah yeah I, I mean i've been to boulder well it was it's a for scene. a while the number one party school i know i'm not sure it was when i was there but it was pretty uh pretty great in those yeah. days and uh <laughs> i'm sure it's with the new laws i'm sure it's even greater <laughs> it was bad when i know i, I went to my first pot pot store when i was there not too long ago oh, that, really? that was really fun um <laughs> but um so i thought i like to read books who doesn't like to read books I'll be an English major. I mean, I didn't think about having to write papers and do all of that. Right. But I thought, you know, you go to class for an hour, hour and a half, easy. Whereas the art classes were, you know, three hours at a time. And yeah, that's a, a drag. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't have to write papers or do anything like that. So I finished an English um, degree. And then uh, it was spring semester of my senior year. And I called my dad and I said, you know, I think I want to be an art major, but I actually am ready to graduate. And he was great. He said, okay, fine. So I went to school an extra year and a half and just took art classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you super seniored it, basically. I su- yeah. It was an extra special senior. Nice. Isn't it funny? I wonder what the percentage is of college students who are taking courses just based on, okay, what's going to be the easiest thing to get through? I- <laughs> It's You're pitiful. You're it's so pitiful. It. I know. I the school's know. wasted on the youth, right? Because when you get older, you're like, oh, man, that class would have been amazing if I was conscious. I'm hoping that students don't do this. Um, my students, I'm hoping that uh, it took them a lot to get into school. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're pay- their parents are paying a lot of money. That that's not how they're picking their major. I really hope yeah. that's not the case. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just that age, you know, 
it's the time when you just want to have some fun. I know, and I also think, I, I look at them as sophomores and think, oh, it, it, how do you actually know? Right. You, you're supposed to determine your you know, too point from this, uh, yeah, from this particular age point. But uh, this, for me, is the benefit of teaching or having taught at a liberal arts college mm-hmm. because you know, the idea is to be well-rounded. Right. So even if you pick a major, you know, you have lots of opportunities to go in other directions. Yeah, there's flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, I was lucky enough that the summer after high school, we, me and a couple friends, we were really into, like, beat poetry and stuff. So we just drove across the country with basically $40 in a tent. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. But I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that experience was good before college. The, the experiential university. Yeah, like yeah. I saw the, the United States, Yeah, which I, was wild. <laughs> I love that. I think uh, especially people live, being in the East Coast, um, those, some of those Western states, uh, you know, Utah, Wyoming, those are crazy states yeah. just to see if you haven't seen them. But Yeah, Utah uh, was in the Badlands going through there. Oh my God, amazing. and Yellowstone. We camp out. I remember camping in Utah in the night sky. There were more stars than there were sky. Oh my sky God, I know. But with that, like shooting stars I, nonstop. Uh, that blew my mind. Yeah, but that's, that's what I mean is that if you grow up in that, um, that kind of situation, you, it, it's the norm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, See, it, that's it's pretty amazing. Not to jump ahead, but some, a lot of the imagery in your work, I kind of feel this sensibility of like that large sky or that the sublimation of nature, you know, like the wide, vast landscape of something, but it's just not specific. It's more abstracted. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, um, uh, and we don't have to get into this <laughs> if you don't want to, but I, but I, I think uh, it, it is weirdly that way. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had asked me, um, oh, you're going to someday be doing landscape painting, it'd be like, no no way ever that's right. not a thing i i would ever want to do but so trying to you know turn that around and subvert that into something else um has been kind of the idea yeah yeah so i'm for me it's more the connection of you know that sublime endlessness endlessness that's you know more so than capturing the actual landscape it's capturing the feeling of looking at that landscape right you know, like the Hudson River School without the river and mountains and more of the feeling of what that must have felt like to look into the abyss of this endless nature where yeah. now we don't really have that's that's been muted by, you know, the sublimation of like information. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's true. And I also think just to be more simplistic on my part. Even when you say, um, you know, uh, hills, sky, tr- uh, trees, all of that, I think th- when we were talking about the West or the, the sort of West Midwest, mm-hmm. um, that absence of those trees and the and the hills and that land thing um, pushes everything down, and then it does all become about the sky in a way, yeah. and that whole uh, natural aspect then becomes more. I think related to phenomena in a way, like uh, you know, like we were talking earlier, s- weird storms and strange yeah. skies and 
atmosphere. Yeah. It's, you can't yeah. put your finger on it. Yeah. Gases, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like air. Which is different than trying to do landscape where there are actually rivers and trees yeah. and things like that. Things yeah. that are rooted in the yeah. earth. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. It's yeah. a little more transient and kind of ephemeral. Yeah. And yeah. less, you know, just boots in the, in the field sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know where this is coming from out of left field. Um, my mother, um, in Nebraska, you always associate, or at least my mother did, always associate trees growing with water, mm-hmm. right? So the trees always grew along lakes or rivers. And the first time she came to the East Coast, she, her comment was, oh, there must be rivers everywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the tree, that's funny. So funny, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So school, you went to school. You, I did. You did the extra art at the end of it I did then what was what was the the plan then I sort of became this uh what I like to call a professional student and I I literally went to school for 11 consecutive years that's a deep I know from (laughs) (laughs) you were either really investigating or hiding I loved school I loved school as a kid for a number of reasons and I loved school as an adult so I took five, five and a half years to go through undergraduate school, and then I just kept taking art classes, one, one class a semester, and I kept hanging out, and at a certain point, um, somebody said, why aren't you going to graduate school? You're just hanging around all the time. And Might I, as well get another degree. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I enrolled in a program that was a three-year program, so yeah. I was there for a long time, yeah. Well, I'm not going to assume the date of that, but it probably was a little more affordable then than it is now. Oh, yeah. And um, I became a, you know, a, after all of that, I was a resident of Colorado. So the tuition was oh, really nice. cheap. Yeah. In state. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. But Well, how'd you end up here? Um, how did I end up here? Well, it's a, it's a long uh, trajectory, but basically I, I graduated. I got a job. Um, in Wisconsin and um, quit the job after one semester Mm -hmm. and the small little college and the president called me in his office and said you will never teach again and this is why we don't hire women because they because I quit because I wanted to go back to Colorado where my boyfriend was yeah and they're going in this is why we don't hire women because they just they just you know they're just not reliable so it's like okay fine uh, so I went back to Colorado. I was a janitor uh, for a crystal zoo that made crystal animals, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was great. <laughs> That's amazing. I loved that job. Um, and I had weird, I sewed backpacks. I mean, I, I'm sure my father was thrilled that after, you know, all this 11 years right. of school, I was a janitor. <laughs> crystal zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I just sort of worked my way. I had a job at the Denver Art Museum. And then... Um, I sort of worked my way into teaching accidentally and uh, taught at Wash U in St. Louis mm-hmm. and taught at the University of Denver and then at Williams. So I ended up you on moved the East where, Coast. Sort of where you were teaching. Yeah, basically. yeah, basically. Well, so but I always lived in New York, even though I taught it at, in Williamstown. But before that, you weren't. I mean, you spent a while not living in New York. It's an adjustment, isn't it? Living in New York? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Compared to the big sky country and oh, the Midwest. Yeah. And no, but um, my reaction was, oh, my God, I'm home. 
Right. I fell in love with New York immediately, and I was really intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. I was a little afraid to go outside. I thought I'd get lost. I kept doing that thing where you go in the subway and you come up, and oh, you're like, yes. ah, where, where, I don't know where I yeah, am. No I had berries. to memorize, you know, Lexington goes down, right. Madison goes up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, you know, um, yeah, it was like, oh, Manhattan is shaped like a penis, and this is where you <laughs> 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 had to really study the village because the the streets all turned so um yeah it was uh an adjustment it was great but i i still after you know 30 some years i i i'm a new yorkophile mm-hmm. right yeah i would drive in from williamstown on the west side and um in the old in the earlier days they would light up the george washington bridge mm-hmm. and and i would come in at night and it would be oh my god it's, it was so beautiful, and yeah. it was like, I'm home, and right. music's on the radio, and yeah. That it, feeling. It was good. Yeah, it doesn't take too long, I think, to of living here to feel like a New Yorker. Yeah. It, yeah. it kind of envelops you. Yeah. Okay, so you are you started teaching at Williams? Yes. You got set up with a studio. Was it easy to find your space here in a studio and getting uh, settled? Well, in general, in New York for a long time, I didn't have a studio. Um, Live, we, work sort of thing? Uh, let's see. Or just, oh, only a studio where you were teaching. Did that get yeah. you? Yeah. And then I, and then I had a, um, we lived on Canal Street in this uh, little loft, and I had a studio there. Mm-hmm. And then I had uh, my first uh, real kind of outside studio. I had a 200-square-foot studio <laughs> in Tribeca. Yeah. Yeah. And I made really tiny, tiny paintings. I was going to say, that's, that's pretty It was pretty really small. small. Yeah, it was thrilling, but small. But um, my first really good studio was the in the Marie Walsh Sharp, um, oh, yeah. you know, uh, studios, pro, the, the space program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really big because not only did I have this gorgeous studio, but I met most of my art friends Yeah. Um, that are still my friends. That's a good yeah. sort of community builder right yeah um, people always say well how do you meet uh you come to new york how do you meet art people and uh you read things like yeah you go to a lot of openings and blah 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 and i'm thinking that doesn't work yeah <laughs> right? i know the like the schmoozing to meet everyone <laughs> right you know, like I usually meet you go people. to an opening and just sidle up to somebody and right. start saying hey be my friend yeah. come to my studio you want to hang out i don't think so <laughs> That doesn't, it's like whenever I was graduating from school, this, the people who were talking about, yeah, you just got to get your slide sheet and you just go into galleries. Oh, right. And I was too shy to ever do that. I want to do that. I you was going to say, did you do that? No, and how successful was that? No, no I, didn't, I, never, I could never do that. Like, yeah. hey, I mean, maybe nowadays I would be more emboldened, but back then I was like super shy and that was not happening. No, I think that's hard. I used to do that too. And I'd walk in and then I'd hang around, mm-hmm. and then I'd walk out, and then I'd come <laughs> back, and I'd hang around. I'm sure they knew what was going on. Yeah, but like, yeah. oh, she's so shy. <laughs> <laughs> like, please don't bring those slides over right. here. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just put that right here, and there's another <laughs> stack of like 80 slide sheets. <laughs> Once I mailed out slides, uh, honestly, I don't even know how this is possible. I mailed out slides in the morning, and I came home in the evening, and they were returned in my mailbox. Well, that's a quick turnaround. I, I don't even know that that's possible, but yeah. 
they intercepted it before it got to the mail person. They're like, no, no, send were, that back. The rejection team at the post office said, no, yeah. Yeah, it has like a slide scanner. Like any packages <laughs> with slides get returned immediately. I know. I That's had a friend who was really angry about the fact that he took slides to a gallery. I can't even remember who this was, but I remember that someone telling me like, oh yeah, they didn't even look at my slides. And I thought to myself, well, if the gallery people are looking at slides all day, then they're not really representing the right. people they represent. Like yeah. they, that's not, it can't work that way. They yeah. can't always be taking people in. Yeah. But no. I think when you're young, you're just like, come on, man. And, and you're so hopeful, right? Yeah. And all the stuff that people tell you now, um, you know, like you should research where you want to go. It's not all about the gallery. It's about you and right. your work. Um, but everybody I knew, we would just, we would just go through the gallery guide and send to every gallery that there was. Yeah. You get the slides back, send them out again. Right. Yeah. You'd take anyone who would show. Well, and then there weren't as many galleries. Yeah. Yeah. You know what true. I mean? So it's not like now where there's a gazillion, there's galleries for all genres. Like, yeah. you know, ju- we just show, you know, we have a small space in the Lower East Side that just shows 23 to 28 year old artists who are dealing with physical sculpture and paint it. You know what I mean? Like nowadays yeah. you can find that stuff. Yeah. No. But I feel like, coming up when I was thinking about galleries, it was just kind of, there weren't, you know, a gazillion of them. And it was kind of like everyone had a little bit of something. Right. Like the, the rosters wanted to be diversified or something. So yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think this is different. I, I think it must be, um, I'm assuming that it's the interest, the, the, the dealer's interest. Yeah. So that makes the niche or maybe it's, you know, economic that it's, it's good to have a, a place, right? It's yeah, I think that's the common thing nowadays. It seems like where a dealer has a successful artist of a certain yeah. genre and is like, all right, well, let's like kind of yeah. find some people that that way the collectors who come in, there's an identity to that. And it's like, well, if we're selling that person's work, this yeah. person's in the same dialogue. Maybe they'll want it too. Do they do that in music? Do they do that with... Uh, record labels? Yeah. Well, they used to. I mean, record labels aren't as big anymore because now right. the record industry has changed but yeah back in the day I mean like if you look at like Discord records it was like a certain kind of indie rock punk yeah that everyone had that vibe you right. know or like you know Thrill Jockey was like post rock or you uh, know I, I think bigger labels were a little more pop and could have some flexibility like Geffen or something would have like you know R&B to pop right. or whatever but right. I think more independent labels were definitely kind of like they had their aesthetic you know so people knew what they were because like if you walked in a record store then like we were saying and you didn't have a way to sample you kind of knew what you were getting if you you know bought something on this record label right yeah i i'm just, i was just curious about that because it seems like now i mean the way i get music now is just on spotify and i i don't even know you know who who's Putting publishing it yeah. yeah 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 so. it's it's that's gone those yeah, days are gone yeah. you know i've been listening to this band i don't know if you've heard of them it's called embracing the pablum have you heard of them no well they're really good you should check them out where are they from <laughs> i made that up <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry tom burkhart and i were talking about this uh-huh. like texting and he said um uh, you're going to be asked about music and I was going god I just listened to such crap music and I, I listened to pop music and and Tom wrote back embracing the pablum oh. and I said I said god that sounds like a band and he said okay you have to say that in all seriousness so I see what this Brian. is 
this is all for Tom's enjoyment. <laughs> and he said, um, if he's listening to this, he said he would buy me a drink if I can do it, if I can actually. So that's what my podcast means to you, <laughs> a free drink. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Did you notice the way I steered the conversation back around to music? Well I was done. trying to really trying to figure out how to do that. It's not my, it, he's, Tom said, oh, you'll never be able to do that because you're not, you don't have the nerve, so. Um, well, you did well. Thank you. And you get a free drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's going to buy me a drink, too. I'm we sorry. Can go. You can delete this part. Please <laughs> no, 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 edit this good. part out. Like, well, let's talk about your work for a little bit. So the work that's up in the show now, how did you, I mean, like you were saying, the aversion to, the earlier aversion to thinking about painting the landscape, whereas there is definitely, well, at least for my interpretation, there seemed to be some reference to sky and landscape and some of that, um, even though it's totally abstract, you know, right. like what we were saying before. Um, was that something you've been mining for a while or and it, is it born out of process or is it more out of kind of like improvisation as you're working? How do you approach, you know, the kind of images that you're making? Um. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the most recent work, okay, uh, the first part of that question is that th they sort of happened on their own. I didn't intend for the landscape thing to happen, nor did I intend for all this sky stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, I've been saying recently that I'm an abstract painter, a process painter, because the process, I think, is is how everything happens and then the imagery sort of comes up on its own. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty basic and I think it's the way a lot of artists work actually, the more I think about it, which is um, I have this, uh, I pour paint, right, acrylic paint. Yeah. And um, I just sort of just let it do whatever it wants to and then I, the great pleasure of it is to come in the next morning after it's dried and see what happens and right. then I just sit and look at it and then I wait for it to sort of define itself and then I I try to rein it in with some order and some um, you know I'm interested in repetition and I'm re interested in labor so I kind of lay that over the top of of whatever is there already yeah yeah it's funny because it's such a jazz-like sensibility <laughs> Do you know I know. What I, mean? I know. That's what I'm saying earlier. I theoretically, I should really like jazz, but it. I don't. Yeah. But it's a sound, so it's something you react to. It's conceptually, it's linked to the process in a way, but the sound is totally. It's like you could do what you're talking about, like pour or let materiality start to define how something's going to right. sh take shape. You could do that in so many different ways, and there's going to be some ways that you could see that and be like, well, I just don't like the way that looks. Right. You know, but you've found the way through the materials that you're using, the colors, and the way that you're doing that, that you respond to it, and it's something that feels, like, good to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. And I'm I'm still thinking about what you just said, though, about um, the, the analogy of, of jazz. Um, without... Um, knowing that much about it, though, I, I, in my head, I feel like jazz is more, um, more the pouring of the paint right. and the settling and the thing that it does. Um, the uh, for me, the thing that I that I don't see so much in jazz is 
that's sort of, okay, now I have to impose uh, a pretty tight structure uh, and repetition in it. Am I wrong on that? No, though? that's totally true. I think jazz is the exact opposite in a way because most of the, t well, it depends on what who we're talking about, but a lot of times if you think about, you know, people who sort of in really invigorated improvisation within classic jazz song structures right. like take someone like Coltrane yeah you're taking a lot of times what is a standard or a melody and you're starting off with that structure then you explode it right so it's kind of in reverse right, right. Yeah. yeah but I mean the the idea of improvisation essentially is part of that work and it's part of this work right but I think that's interesting because in some ways then um, the <laughs> the analogy would be uh, in my process it's sort of re reverse jazz <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah you're throwing the grid on the improvisation yeah. in a way yeah yeah although you, it's informed by the improv process yeah you know yeah uh that's it's really interesting there's this great coltrane recording i think it might be a live is love supreme or or yeah. something like that where he's you can hear him talking to the drummer before and he's like let's just get a thing going yeah you know, cool. which is like, that's the birth of it. Just, and I just, think it's so funny because if I um, think about why I don't relate to jazz, I think it's that part, mm -hmm. that um, repetition and that really distinct, uh, that that kind of rhythmic element, even though it's really there, but they, they sort of riff on and off of that so much. Mm -hmm. and, and I like, a, you know, it's like. You like the beat. Yeah. New wave punk. <laughs> I like the beat. Right. Yeah, they play around the beat. Yeah. They play around the yeah. four a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's so you're funny. into, do you, so what you're saying is you love house music while you're working? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't like that either. But, and I'm not going off to like, but I did used to like um, Steve Reich and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Philip Glass. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, no. Yeah, the stuff I listen to is. I turn on the radio when I'm driving to Massachusetts, and would it, that's actually how I found a lot of my music. Yeah, <laughs> like Bieber and Taylor Swift is basically <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> it's okay. I don't actually listen to Taylor Swift, but it's not that far off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it's great. I think all music is great. <laughs> and it's so funny that we're spending so much time talking on music when you're like, yeah, it's not really my thing. But I, it's so interesting to me because I, I have, I know people whose parents don't listen to music or like didn't listen to music when people were growing up. And right. I think that really affects this sort of sensibility towards music. You know what I mean? Like from an early age, like I, my dad was always playing Motown like in music uh, when I was growing up. There was cool. never silence in our right. house, right. but it was never classical. It was always like R and B or, yeah. you know, Motown or a rock and roll or whatever, but it was always on. So I have like horror vacui when it comes to like, you know, I need sound. I need stuff yeah. to fill up yeah. that space. Right. And every minute that goes by, I'm not listening to music in my life. I feel like I'm I'm missing a train. You know what I mean? So you're listening to music definitely when you're working. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And now that you know this stuff is happening, I, I it's endless. I mean, the rabbit holes you can go down is like amazing. Do you listen to podcasts while you're working? No. Oh, interesting. Only when I'm driving oh. or like not in the studio. I can't concentrate. Like I don't want to concentrate on the story or the narrative. I want to feel when I'm painting because my narrative is what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want yeah. that to, to get into each other. Yeah. Music uh, is something I can put on and, and not think and just feel it. 
Well, seeing um, in a way, uh, my version of that kind of music is um, uh, I listen to really horrible audible books, like like not the good ones, the ones that I'll I'll get halfway through and I'll go, I've already listened to this. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, he was killed in the you know swamp and mm-hmm. his. Mis- dis- dismembered head, you know, just floated up. It's like I remember this. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the level of what I'm listening to. Yeah. But do you listen to stuff like Serial, or I do. like Gone, or, or ones that are? Yeah, but really I, the ones that where I actually um, get entranced and have to pay attention, I have to be doing a certain kind of work. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, because it takes concentration. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I do that sometimes. I feel that way. That happens a lot in my life where I'm balancing. Maybe that's like as I'm getting a little older, like how much of my brain I want to dedicate to something yeah. at any given moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> it's like, no, that's too much. I can't, you know what I mean? I can't listen to that or I can't watch that because it's going to take up too much. Of, there's so many people say, oh, you got to watch this show. And I think to myself, yeah, I just, I'm sure it's great. I can't. Devote. I have a list of things people keep telling me to watch, and I'm going. I don't know. I don't have time. If I could watch them while I'm working, yeah. But otherwise, there's no time. But we can't. We yeah. can't. Yeah. And and a lot of people will say, I'm. I'm like, I don't read as much as I'd like to because so much of my work is visual. Right. I can't read when I'm working. And like with well, just audiobooks, but again, I can't really concentrate on it. Yeah. If there, I'm working, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I get sidetracked. And then if I try to listen to an audio book before I go to sleep or something, I'm out cold. Like, it'll just put me out. So. Yeah, I, um, uh, <laughs> people know me know this, and it's a, it's a sad, sad story, but I basically um, watch Law and Order mm-hmm. when, I, when I actually get a moment. And I, wa- and I wa- watch the same episodes probably, you know, 50 times each. But There's nothing wrong with that. I know. It's people just, do that with Seinfeld, and it's... You know, it only gets funnier. <laughs> I named a painting Festivus once. Nice. <laughs> just just, just no to way. throw that out there. It immediately, for the rest of us, <laughs> pops in. Like, if you know it, you know what I mean? Like, that pops I in I use that in a lecture. Um, and sometimes I can tell if people, I look out there and peep, it's blank. I go, Festivus, for the rest of us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Anyway, I have so many. It's living in New York, especially. You have so many Seinfeldian moments in your day to day. I know, it's so funny. Yeah, um, I I heard that it. We're going way off track here. I'm, I don't know. There's no track. Interesting. It's this <laughs> is going to be to anybody. Um, I heard that they. Uh, I can't remember where they took. They were playing Seinfeld in another country, and it just did not translate. People oh, didn't yeah. think it was funny in the least. So I think that's a tough. There's yeah. certain things that don't. Yeah. Um, don't make it. Yeah. The humor doesn't make it. Like Simpsons, supposedly, and other people from outside the U.S. have a really hard time, like getting or outside native English speaker, right. but just have a hard time getting that humor. Right. You know. Yeah. And I've watched shows from other countries that are cracking people up, and I, I just can't. I know. I don't get it. Well, I don't. I don't know that much about other countries' um, humor, but just to make gross stereotypes, like with Japan, right? It's all like. Farting. Farting is really hysterically funny in Japan. Let's be honest. Farts are funny. That's not a Japanese thing. I don't think they're that funny. 
Farts are funny. I'm not being true to my cult- every kid, to my culture. Every kid who farts at like age five laughs at it. <laughs> okay. No, but there is like a physical humor sensibility in Japan. I think that's a little different. But I think that's balanced because so much of the culture there is not about being physical or you know being yeah. a little more reserved yeah. when it comes to that. That yeah. seeing that stuff is hilarious. Ugh. We're off topic. That was funny. There's no, there's no, oh, oh I guess your work <laughs> could be on topic. Sorry. Listen, you I'm derailed trying to keep it. Your, your, entertaining your, your, Tom I'm trying this to keep, thing. I'm trying to keep your <laughs> listeners entertained. I'm like going, no, don't fall asleep. I, I'm trying to entertain you. No. Well, why don't you tell them a little about the show now and then where they can see it and where they can see your work elsewhere and a little bit about you. Um, Okay, well, the show is at DC Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in, in New York City, on, in Chelsea, on West 22nd. And uh, it's up till October 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, uh, I, I feel like uh, it's different work. It's, uh, I'm hoping that it clearly is the work related to the work that I've done, mm-hmm. but, um, but new. And, um, I guess the only other thing, I don't know if we're running out of time, but when I was listening to uh, one of your other podcasts, it was a thing that I I thought, oh, we could talk about this, which was, um, I think we have, uh, our work is very different, but we have similar, uh, I think, uh, takes on things about, um, you know, uh, I think you were talking about you weren't talking about, maybe you were talking about beauty or um, a sort of uplifting or optimism or something with this sort of darker underbelly of, yeah. of ominousness or dread or something. And, um, and I feel like that in this particular show that we're talking about, I feel like I really wanted to push that, that there, I wasn't trying to make them um, beautiful in any way. Um, but, but not also, uh, some, some of them were a little, um, uh, frightening to me and, and, uh, a little bit creepy. And I was trying to cut that a little bit with, with, um, with ideas of beauty or, or I don't even know what I'm saying. This is the thing about talking about work that's too recent. I I don't (laughs) really know what I'm (laughs) talking about. Um, but I got really interested in, that idea of um, uh, sort of life view, because to me the 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 core of it, which is stuff that I I think I'm really interested in when I, uh, when I go to other artist studios or when I talk to grad students, um, you know, what's the payoff? What's the thing that really feeds you in the work? And it, and those things are not necessarily uh, apparent all the time. Uh, because I think it gets into intention, right? right. And, and that's always tricky. Um, but but I think having uh, one-on-one with people, that's where it gets interesting because you can talk about that as opposed to just looking at people's work in a gallery. Right. So, um, and <laughs> circuitous here. But I think for me the, the core thing is somewhere about what we've, uh, it's not unrelated to what we've been talking about. That there's a looseness, there's a randomness, that stuff happens in life, that there is the underbelly of it, um, there's entropy, there's decay, there's death. Uh, it's all kind of working together, um, and it's of a piece. 
and I think that uh, as a human being, um, uh, well, I'll just speak for myself as one human being, um, I just resist that. I resist that so much it's really hard for me, mm-hmm. the change, the entropy. I don't, I want everything to stand still. I don't want um, uh, to embrace that. That's really tough. And really that's sort of what drives the work for me yeah. is that. And, um, and so you, got, you were talking about it, and I thought that was really interesting. And as I remember, um, it got around to this notion of, um, in the end, I, I, maybe, it was, maybe you were talking to Kathy Butterly, but it was a certain optimism mm-hmm. that you had. Yeah. And I have that, I don't have that at all. <laughs> and I, I was thinking, uh, maybe it's because you have a child, or maybe it's just your worldview. But I just feel like, ah, oh, we're horrible. We're, we're a terrible species. You know, I think we're, we can be wonderful and endearing and, and do great things, but we just, um, oh, God, you know, over on my table right there, there's a little quote. I, I write these things down, um, and I think it says, uh, right where your glasses are. What does it say? So the, the goal of intelligent the, life the is... The nature of intelligent life is to listen to other life? Or is to destroy. Oh, is to destroy other life. That's <laughs> my Freudian optimism. See? <laughs> and and I think I I think that we are like a yeah we're like a virus yeah and doomed I, doomed to wipe ourselves out yeah but I think isn't the the nature of all life is in a way to destroy other life because you eat other like yeah. it's a cyclical it's kind of like I, this analogy came up in like when I was talking to Matthew uh, the it's like a forest fire. Because it could be a god-awful thing that kills all the stuff, but then something new is born out of it. I mean, optimism is pessimism, just the other side of it. You know, it's the same thing, really. Uh, Yeah. Okay, I share your optimism for um, the the world and the way things go. And if if the planet implodes, then something else happens, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, totally with that in a kind of uh, wondrous way. In terms of human beings, not optimistic at all. Yeah, I don't know that I'm optimistic about human beings. I yeah. just, my, my mindset is more optimistic. In other words, like this coffee cup could be, let's say it's half full of coffee. Right. Uh, you know, the adage. Yeah, like yeah. You either yeah. see it as half full or half empty. Yeah. The fact is, there's half, half of it has liquid in it. Right. So there's no right or wrong. It's either half full or half empty. So it's just a mindset of how you want to look at it. It's good and bad. It's yes. going away sooner yes. or later. Yeah. It is probably going to get refilled down the block at some point. Or there's going to be another coffee in life. You know what I'm saying? But yes. it's just the way you look at it. It's, it's both there. The and good and bad is there. It's, how you, it's your, the way you're taking it in. Right. And actually, um, w- when you put it that way or when I'm thinking of it that way, we're totally on the same page. Yeah. And I, and I do think that it is... Um, I don't. I guess optimism is the bad word. I feel like it's an acceptance. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is this is the way things go. That acceptance is hard, though, and a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, if you think about it, when you, with consciousness, like you realize, okay, one day I'm gonna die. Yeah. So you could just spend your whole life being like, oh man, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. You know. Yeah. You'd be this morbid and just. Then the other side of it is like, well, I'm gonna die at some point, so I might as well have fun. You know, or 
Enjoy yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah. It's just a mindset. It the is reality a mindset. is the reality. I think what gets in the way is, um, is, is uh, it's a personal thing in that uh, you were talking about one animal eats another animal. It's a pretty amazing system in a way mm -hmm. that it works so well. And, and I'm part of that and I eat other animals. It kind of hurts me to have to eat other animals. I do it. Most of the time I don't think about it, but it, it hurts me a little to have to do that. Mm -hmm. If I had to kill my own food, uh, uh, you know, either I'd be, I'd have a, I don't know, different outlook or, uh, eh, we don't even want to get into that. But I think, um, I think, so it's, it's natural that, that life and death, it's natural. When people, when it's your friend that dies, when it's somebody, you know, close to you, yeah. If it's your mother that dies, or was, then it's harder to say, oh, yes, this is how life goes. Right. Right. That's what I mean. It's like um, there's that little, that tendency to want to just uh, not have to deal with change. Ah, this is getting way too, uh, you know, I don't know, icky. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been a vegetarian since 1993. <laughs> <Have> you? <laughs> Maybe that's my optimism. <laughs> Oh boy. You know, the plants are screaming as they're being uprooted. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are they really? I, That's a I read that once. Yeah. No, but I, I, I know what you mean. And I, I do think that, you know, I don't know if I'm an optimist or a pessimist, but I think it's, it's just everyone's going to get, you're going to be dealt certain ups and downs. I feel like you just have to ride it out, you know. And we might I as well, I always think you might as well have fun when you can, or you might as well enjoy what you can when you can. Oh, yeah. You know. Carpe all the diem. Yes. yes. I, I think so. I agree. I thought you were going to say car payment at all. <laughs> I was going to, what the hell? <laughs> I don't want to pay the car. <laughs> don't make the payment. Just drive the thing until they catch you. I've been having instances of uh, creative hearing where I just, um, I hear things. I've been telling this story lately where, um, I was in Omaha, and somebody uh, was saying, "Yes, this this is. I want you to meet this person. Um, he he founded Namaste." And I was like, "I, I didn't know there was a founder of Namaste." Right. It was really that, that's amazing. And it was Omaha Steaks. <laughs> so awesome. It's very optimistic listening on uh, your part. <laughs> this is turning into the worst podcast. I I am not. I'm. You, you I'm doing what? all the things that I didn't. I said, okay, Barbara, stay on track. Talk about your work in a coherent way. I love it. And oh my remember, uh. always when it comes down to it, blame Tom. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to blame you in that you could edit <laughs> some of this out. <laughs> No I know way. you could make me sound better. I, I know you could. Oh, you sound great. Uh, it's nice to, you know, in looking at your work and having met you before today, <laughs> it's like moody, kind of like deep, you know, it's just like the work has this vibe to it. And you're, I wouldn't have, you know, associated your personality with that work necessarily. It's, um, <laughs> it's my Midwestern cheeriness, somebody <laughs> said to me. I, like, I grew up in Tornado Alley. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm actually deep, but outwardly I'm 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 quite cheery. No, I I don't know. It's I been know. great. I think that's the noise you were talking about. Yes. What oh, are they see, doing? Oh, see the timing. I, I don't know, but I'm I'm going to call three one one and complain. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I thought it was very fun. <laughs> I had fun. Okay. <laughs> 
I didn't ask you enough questions. Oh my God. Oh no, no, you don't. Have I to like ask having me. a conversation more. No, no, it was a great conversation. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for having me over. Everyone, oh. go see your show, which is at DC Moore until October sixth. Six. Yeah. And you, you a social media person? I am. Yeah. We'll yeah. have to hook up on that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's ju- is it just your name? At it Instagram? is. It is. Um, I I don't do Instagram as much as um, I should. But as, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go post a whole bunch of stuff on Instagram. <laughs> I think you're the first person who ever said, I don't use Instagram as much as I should. <laughs> Listen, students, you're spending too much time in that studio. Start posting that work. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I will follow you. <laughs> I didn't get to tell you about my hitchhiking trip to see Janis Joplin. What? Yeah. That's music related, too. I know. Well, let's I should have thought of that. Let's do a part two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Can we? Oh, now? No, eventually. <laughs> I was going to say, you have to get home. I do have to go, but, but yes, let's, okay. we could do a part two. No, we don't. No, we don't have to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>